You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What is the key to successful adherence to drug regimens in patients with diabetes? Joining us to discuss medication adherence for patients living with diabetes is Associate Professor of Clinical Pharmacy at UCSD Skagg School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences in San Diego, California, Dr. Candice Morello. Dr. Morello, welcome to ReachMD once again. Thank you very much. Well, Candace, let's jump into it. Adherence is probably one of the biggest problems we see with our patients with diabetes. I mean, they all want to live a long and healthy life, but we ask a lot of them. We ask them to take a lot of medications, test their blood sugar, go to doctors, take pills. You know, it's hard. And I think many of us professionals would have a hard time doing what we ask our patients to do. What percent of patients living with diabetes are taking oral medications with two, two or more times a day? In a recent study that we conducted, we found that 87% of patients were taking their medications, either two medications or more medications a day. How do you define medication adherence? Because I like that phrase so much better than the word noncompliance. And I think that's important for our listeners because sometimes we blame the patient. That's right. And compliance really basically says you're not doing what we told you. And as we know with diabetes, it's the patients that have to take over control over their diabetes, and they're really in the driver's seat. So what we find with medication adherence, it can be classified in two ways. One is simply in intentional non-adherence. They simply make a conscious decision not to take the medication. And it might be because they had experienced an adverse effect from a medication previously, but really they are deciding not to take it. The other type of non-adherence is unintentional non-adherence. And that can be the patient just simply might forget or they're so overwhelmed by their medication regimen that they just, you know, can't remember to take the medication or they, you know, maybe they can't afford the regimen or the medications that they're using. Oh, you know, that's, that's, that is a lot. Now, let's, let's discuss some of the barriers because then we could discuss some of the potential solutions. Um, you know, one thing I want to mention up front is I think there's a lot of misinformation in the lay literature out there that scares people. And I think you and I know in our lipid clinic, Every other patient comes in and says, oh, I don't want statins to hurt my liver, so I stopped taking it. Right. And, you know, so I, I, you know, there's so much misinformation. I know that's got to be one of the bigger barriers. Well, as you indicated, I think that adverse events are one of the most common. And what things that, like, if patients gain weight or if they have um, nausea or they have, you know, something that affects their daily life certainly can be a barrier, but also there, you know, people become afraid of medications, and if they're not educated, I mean, they simply just need to know what the medication is used for and what to look out for. You know, it doesn't mean that just because you're on a statin, you're going to get muscle pain, but it's good to be educated about that, so in case it happens, you know, 
and we deal with that. If you're a lay individual, you're not medically trained, and you read some of the side effects of drugs, oh, they are scary. You'd never take an aspirin if you read some of the things uh, in, in the physician desk reference books. Well, let's talk about, you know, your study, your experience, and how education and counseling can can be one of the most significant uh, positive impacts on medication adherence. We looked at a group of patients, um, over 300 patients, who had who were successful and motivated in, in controlling their diabetes. And they we asked them, what are some of the methods that you use to help improve medication adherence? And the patients indicated that having a daily routine was very helpful and putting have not just having a daily routine in the sense that you know they get up and they have breakfast that sort of thing but finding specifically what in their daily routine can be linked with the time to take medications or if they use pill boxes um, that was found to be very helpful as well. You know what? I take a bunch of medications myself, and I use pill boxes. And I have one that's blue, which is the morning one, mm-hmm. and one that is white that is my nighttime one. Absolutely. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with my very good friend and colleague, Dr. Candice Morello. We're discussing medication adherence for patients living with diabetes, probably one of the biggest problems we see in clinical practice. So, Candice, um, in your recent study, how can counseling play a significant role in medication adherence? Well, you know, the study looked at both input from patients as well as caregivers of people with diabetes. And what they really found to be helpful ended up being simple things that need to be included in counseling patients about their medications, about the indication. They wanted to know why they better understood what the medication was for or what the benefit was going to be. Then they were, that motivated them to help them understand or what, what, what to expect, you know, what are potential adverse events. And this was found both in patients and for people who cared for people with diabetes. Well, taking that a little bit further, for, for pharmacists and other healthcare professionals who see people with diabetes, how can they assess the reasons why some patients are not adherent to their medication plans? How do they figure out what the main barriers are? You know, we simply have to take the time to ask and in a non-threatening way. You know, we just say, I always ask them, um, how many times in the last week did you forget to take your medications? And then if they tell me, oh, you know, I forgot my insulin for seven times or I forgot my, you know, oral medications three or four times. And they're very, you know, once they realize that as providers we're willing to help them, figure out a good routine or, you know, individualize their medication regimen with, for them, they're very, they're very open. And then we just ask them, what would work for you? One patient I have, he associates everything with a 5 p.m. Uh, television show. So basically, I took his entire 20 medication regimen and he does one thing in the morning and everything else he, he does in the evening at 5 p.m. when his program comes on. Is that 
Spudge Bob Squarepants? Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's a uh, radio documentary, political documentary program, I think. Now, um, give us some other motivating factors uh, that can help uh, patients stay with their regimen. I know that it sounds to me like everyone's got to f- be as regular as possible and find some type of uh, you know, red flag that goes up and says, hey, it's time for my medication. Right. Absolutely. And what motivates people is, I really feel, is understanding how to take their medications or even why. Why am I on this medication? And a lot of times people will come to the clinic and, you know, like I said, they've got multiple medications and we just go over each one and we group them. Okay, these are being used to to treat your cholesterol and here's where your, you know, your bad cholesterol, your LDL is right now and here's what the goal is. And you know, once they understand and they kind of put those links together and they're in the driver's seat and want to know, it really does help them. I find that they're ready, to, you know, they want to take control of their diabetes then. Hey, I like that phrase, uh, taking control of your diabetes. I, I, I agree with you, Candace. I think education is where it's at. If people know why they're taking something, they'll be much more adherent. Well, in our closing uh, few minutes, uh, what's your final recommendation for your fellow pharmacists and other healthcare professionals listening into counseling sessions, if you have the time? Absolutely. And I think if you have the time is an excellent phrase because this is where I feel that physicians and pharmacists can work collaboratively together to help these patients. You know, we, in 20 minutes, it's difficult to assess a patient on a multiple medication regimen. And this is where we can work together and you know, make sure we include, and in, in, in the study, the results show they want to know from their provider. Actually, their medical doctor is, is who ranked higher, having easy access to a physician or a doctor to discuss their diabetes and other health care issues came much higher um, at, at about 64% compared to even talking to their pharmacist. In some ways, that's, you know, as pharmacists, it's our... We're the medication experts, and, and unfortunately, the the um, community still has issues with kind of understanding what pharmacists are able to do. But I, I do feel that helping patients um, understand their medications, especially the indication, mechanism of action, and the therapeutic effects, as well as the adverse effects, can be a part of, of medication counseling. That can be done either by in the physician encounter or to be um, enhanced or done completely by the pharmacist. You know, Candace, um, you know, I wrote an article recently called Redefining the Diabetes Doctor Visit. And I, I would love to take some of the perfunctory things that we do in our visit and throw them out and spend a little bit more time educating patients about why we're prescribing certain medications. Because I think you could be the smartest doctor in the world, prescribe the perfect drugs, but if someone doesn't take it, then it's all for naught. You've got that right. And if you can spend that little extra time and talk to them about their concerns about taking medication, I think we'll be a lot more successful. I completely agree. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Associate Professor of Clinical Pharmacy at UCSD Skagg School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences in San Diego, California, Dr. Candice Morello. Dr. Morello, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Oh, it's always my pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, To help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan, who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes, whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it? Yes, Jamie, go ahead. GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does? What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety? Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.